1: Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing a
0: new thing where I have my headphones on both ears, and now I'm already feeling it affect my speech pattern, so (laughs) so, (laughs) I thought I could do it, and it's only been five seconds. Okay, I feel like myself again. I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm great. It is so weird how that happens though. Whenever you have both of your ears covered, it makes you I feel like I can't do it. Yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. I totally understand what you're saying about that and and does make you feel like you're talking funny, but I assure you that you sound perfectly fine.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It feels like the thing whenever you eat ice and your tongue gets frozen and it doesn't know how to work. Every time I'm like I, I can't I can't speak. I don't know how to do this. And I can't really speak anyway, so you know, it was already a struggle for me. It's still a struggle for me, but I'm back <laughs> at one ear one ear headphones just in case anyone was keeping track. There you go.
1: There you go. <laughs> All right, so we are in November. Officially, we are marching towards the holidays and I'm very excited all of my favorite holidays are coming up because they all involve a lot of food. And I'm really excited, though, to eat all of the delicious food that comes along with Thanksgiving. But this is also just a reminder that we will be off the week of Thanksgiving. November 24th, I think, is the day that we're going to be off, yes. um, just like we are every year around the holidays. So yeah, so don't be alarmed. And there's no episode the week of Thanksgiving, but we will be back the following week. So we're kind of Just announcing that a little bit early this time. I feel like we always are like, oh, by the way, we won't be here next week. So now I'm giving you a couple of weeks to lead into that. Um, So we're going to get right into this week's episode. We have a really crazy story with a whole lot going on this week. And I'm really excited to talk about it on the show. But first... I wanna talk about something that really grinds my gears and that kind of pertains to this episode. But people who take advantage of others. So, con artists and liars and those who just kind of get by in life by making up really wild stories and convincing other people to go along with it. I just don't really have patience for that kind of thing. Melissa, I don't think you do either. Just oh. because I feel like it's so wrong to take advantage of people like that. I don't know why. I feel very salty about that this week for some reason. No
0: one has hurt I me tell no you, one took
1: advantage of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've like gone off script here a little bit. And so I was like, what are you trying to tell me? Like, what possible <laughs> thing could you have thought that I took advantage of you for? I was just silently holding my breath, like looking in the script to see where on earth you were and how <laughs> I <laughs>
1: No, 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 it's not. It's definitely not personal and directed at you. I don't know why. I just was <laughs> uh, when I was writing up this story, I was like, gosh, I really like this guy it was just. yeah. No, there's just too much. Yeah. So it's just really frustrating to imagine how people can even do this to others. And sometimes it's also frustrating to understand how victims actually fell for the tactics of a con artist. And usually these are people who are already in some kind of a desperate situation. So it just makes it that much more upsetting when a con artist or somebody like that would come along and kind of kick them while they're down. So today's episode, as I said, is kind of a doozy and it involves a man who did con numerous people into believing the unbelievable and later found himself involved in a shocking and violent crime. Missing persons cases are always really scary and kind of hard to imagine, but unfortunately, it's not as rare as you might think for somebody to go missing. There are over 600,000 people in the U.S. that go missing every year, and the outcome of those cases ranges from voluntary disappearances to tragic ends of life, and of course, there are those who go missing that are never located. When we hear crime stories where somebody has gone missing, it's often the same type of story. The person has a routine and never misses their commitments, so those closest to them are immediately alarmed when that person suddenly vanishes. This was the case in September of 1999 when Gurley Chu Hassenkoft failed to show up for her 8 a.m. shift at Bank of America. Gurley was known around the bank for her excellent work. She had a background in banking prior to coming to Bank of America, and she was described as an exceptional and efficient employee. Gurley would never miss work without calling, so when she didn't show up on September 9th, her coworkers were really immediately alarmed and concerned. By 8.10 that morning, a coworker was already calling the police to report Girlie missing. The police agreed to do a welfare check on Girlie, so they went to her apartment where they noticed that something wasn't right. There weren't any signs of forced entry, but it did look like a struggle had ensued at the apartment at some point. They noticed that the apartment appeared to have been cleaned and even had bleach stains on the carpet and on the couch, so the police actually swabbed these bleached areas for later testing. In some cases, an adult missing persons case isn't really alarming enough to warrant an investigation, because adults actually have a right to go missing, meaning anybody can simply choose to up and vanish on their own accord, and there's nothing illegal about that. But in this case, the police did believe that there was enough suspicious evidence that warranted taking a closer look a lot faster than they may have otherwise.
0: Girly Chu was born on August 27th, 1963, and raised in Malaysia by her parents, Margaret and Shing Keng. And just fun fact alert, my little nephew was born in Malaysia, and he's the coolest kid in the entire world, so I love that. Uh, she was a very small woman, only growing to five foot one and weighing just 95 pounds. But she was very friendly and very well-liked, and she worked really, really hard. Gurley got her first job at a bank in Malaysia and worked for two different banks there before she moved to New Mexico and took a job at Bank of America. As for how she ended up living in the U.S., in the early 90s, Gurley took a trip to the United States and visited California where she got to visit SeaWorld. While she was at SeaWorld, she met a charming man by the name of Diaz and Hassenkoft and there was an instant attraction. When Gurley went back to Malaysia, she kept in contact with Diazin, and eventually she moved to the U.S. to be with him. The happy couple got married on January 8, 1993, and they lived in a cute little house in Albuquerque. As the couple settled into their new marriage, talk of having kids came up, and it was learned that Gurley was actually unable to have children. The news was devastating to the couple, and it really took a toll on them. But one thing that Gurley wasn't aware of at this time was that her new husband had some skeletons in his closet and he really all around was just not a very nice man. Diaz and Hassenkoft had only been going by that name for about as long as he'd known Gurley. He was born Armand Chavez in Houston, Texas, possibly on March 5th, 1965, as best as we can tell. He changed his name to Diaz and Hassenkoft in 1992, the same year that he met Gurley at SeaWorld. So little did Gurley know, but her husband had been married several times before, and he actually had several children. But lies and secrets were nothing out of the ordinary for Diazen.
1: Diazen was an experienced con artist with an extensive history in scamming people, and his story was so far-fetched that it's hard to believe he even got away with it. It all began when he used fake credentials to get accepted into the University of Utah School of Medicine— but he was dismissed when it was found out that he was lying. From there, he began telling people that he was a doctor and that he'd invented an anti-aging serum as well as a cure for cancer. As part of this story of his, he also claimed to be a 2,000-year-old alien, and I would assume that he was saying that he was alive at this very advanced age because of his own anti-aging invention that he was trying to sell to other people.
0: That's a great way to do it, though, to be like, Look right, how great I and I'm 2000.
1: <laughs> I'd buy right. it. Right, exactly. So he told people all kinds of stuff about him. He said that he was a CIA scientist, a surgeon, an NSA employee, and many more things. He somehow managed to con hundreds of thousands of dollars from people who believed that he actually had a cure for cancer. In 1995, he even tried to buy a bioreactor from a company in Philadelphia, which he told them that he needed for conducting, quote, cell growth experiments, and he presented himself as a doctor and a scientist, but the company was suspicious of his inquiry, and they declined to sell him this equipment. They also alerted the CIA, but that never actually went anywhere. Diazin wasn't arrested or charged with any crime at that time. The same year, he was on a trip in Alberta, Canada, when he met a woman and wooed her by claiming to be a doctor that traveled around with elderly people on trips so that he could look after them while they traveled. So before Diazin left, he exchanged addresses with the woman so that they could continue to communicate by mail. When he returned to New Mexico, he would send the woman letters, and when he went on trips, he would send postcards from all the places that he was allegedly traveling with his patients. Diazin did not tell the woman that he was married to Gurley, and he pursued a romantic relationship with her anyway. In April of 1995, the woman went to New Mexico to visit Diazin, and he even brought her to his house where he lived with Gurley. But the house at the time that she went there had no signs that there was a woman living there at all. And Diazin said that his bathroom was being remodeled, and he suggested that he and the woman should stay in a hotel while she was there visiting. So they ended up staying in a room together for three days. Later in June, July, and in November of that year, Diazen actually went back to Canada to visit this woman. The next month, long after Diazen had returned to New Mexico, so this would be in December, the woman learned that she was pregnant and she found out while she was actually on a trip home to Japan visiting her family. The woman decided to stay abroad and give birth to Diazin's son on August 8th, 1996 in Japan. When the baby was born or possibly even during the woman's pregnancy, Diazen told her that the child was going to inherit a genetic disorder from him that he said affected all members of his family. He said every single person in his family is affected by this and this condition would require lifelong medical care and since Diazen was a doctor, he said that their son should live with him so that he could be taken care of. So the woman is believing what he's saying. She's like, right. oh, my gosh, this is terrible that, you know, your child is going to inherit this, you know, genetic disorder. But I guess she never thought to ask, like, how come no one's taking care of you for the rest of your life since you're part of your family also? And I
0: was saying that too, but he's a doctor, right? So maybe he could have said, hey, that was my motivation to become a doctor so I could take care of myself. And you know what I mean? I I thought the same thing, but like, yeah, I could see how you could convince somebody like, well, why would I need a doctor? I am a doctor And, and that, but it is, it's crazy to put this into somebody's head and feed them this kind of nonsense. And it's your kid. You want what's best for your kid. So man,
1: this is where he really, really loses me. Yeah, yeah, it's just terrible all around. So he actually convinced the woman to meet him in person to discuss everything. And he had her fly from Japan to Mexico when their newborn son was just 24 or 25 days old. They met at a hotel and stayed together with the baby for three days. And during that time, Diazin was slowly convincing the woman to give the baby up and to let him take the baby. He never really fully explained why he needed to care for the baby, but at the end of the three days, Diazen took off with his son. He told the newborn's mother not to contact him and said that he was going to be leaving New Mexico soon, and she never heard from Diazen or saw her baby again. The woman was overcome with grief and guilt over what she'd done, so she decided to stay in Mexico and find work there instead of going back home to Japan. And she later met a retired professor and they got married in 1998. But oh my gosh, it just broke my heart so bad to even hear that Diazin was able to convince her to do that. And she obviously didn't really want to give up the baby. She didn't want to be separated from her son, but he convinced her. And then he took off right. and, and just said, don't bother contacting me. You know, I'm not going to be around. And like, oh my gosh, that's just so heartbreaking and terrifying. And we're just
0: yeah. awful. Oh yeah, for sure. But back to Diazin and his newborn son and Gurley too. After Diazin left Mexico with a child and returned home to New Mexico, he obviously had to go home to Gurley and give some kind of explanation as to why he now has a baby with him. Remember that Gurley was not able to have children, but she and Diaz really wanted kids. So maybe that's why Gurley was so accepting of it when Diaz came home with a newborn and said that the child was a Mexican orphan that he'd adopted while he was down there on a business trip. He told Gurley that the boy was their son to raise now, and they decided to name him Dimitri. By 1997, 1998, Gurley was seeing more of Diazin's personality that she didn't particularly like and she started speaking with an attorney about divorcing him. By this time though, he was already dating another woman and Gurley actually confronted her in January of 1998, which actually led this woman to breaking things off with Diazin. This made Diazin extremely angry and he physically took it out on Gurley. He choked her, hit her, and threatened to kill her. Gurley escaped the attack and went to a neighbor's house to call the police. Following this incident, Ziazem was arrested and charged with aggravated battery and assault, but the charges were later dismissed for reasons unknown. About a week after the assault, Gurley filed a restraining order against her husband. In the police report, it says that Gurley stated, quote, I found my husband loosening the bolts on my car wheels in the garage at 9 p.m., Before that, he strictly gave me instructions to drive on the freeway tomorrow to go to Hyatt Hotel downtown to get a dinner menu. We had an argument in the garage and he shoved me on the front of the car and chased me when I ran out of the house. He called a couple times to my neighbor's house and came to the house arguing and yelling, wanting to confront me. He pounded on the door and tried to drive my car away, end quote. There's a book and we'll reference it in the um, show notes, but they talk a lot of, to this neighbor who saw all kinds of things during this time and how Diazin presented himself. And then when these kind of things started coming out, it's an interesting audiobook. It's a little older, I think, but um, it's an interesting audiobook if you have a chance and want to learn more about this case. That'll all be in the show notes. But the next day, Gurley filed to actually have their marriage annulled. She didn't want to file for divorce because her personal beliefs that this would be considered shameful. Gurley quickly moved out of the house that she and Diazin shared and into her own apartment. It was at this time that she took that job at Bank of America. All she wanted from Diazen in their divorce was part of their equity in their home, which would amount to about $53,000 then or $81,000 today so that she would be able to start her life over. But Diazin fought her every single step of the way. After making fast friends with a new coworker, she told her that her husband had been lying to her about really everything. She would also say these things to her attorney. He had also been harassing her. After Gurley moved out, the windshield of her car was smashed twice, and she obviously believed her husband was responsible. So at this point, she decided to start taking self-defense lessons.
1: According to New Mexico court records, in the spring of 1999, Diazin was arrested on charges of child abuse and for being under the influence of drugs or alcohol, but the charges were later abandoned and there's not a lot of information about that. It was just in the court records, but there's they don't give any details or anything. A little over a month later, he was arrested for three counts of violating a protection order and was found guilty on those charges, and we can assume that the protection order he broke was the one that Gurley had put in place. Meanwhile, Diazin continued lying and trying to con people, and he spent a lot of time learning about and believing in some of the most outrageous conspiracy theories, in the summer of 1999, a few months after his arrests, he attended a seminar led by the infamous David Icke. And so if you're not familiar with that name, he is a big time conspiracy theorist and a book author. And the most popular conspiracy theory that David is known for is the reptilian theory. And so if you are a Patreon supporter of ours, then you may have heard us talking about the reptilian theory on our special oh, gosh conspiracy theory patreon episode that we did that was this year i think wasn't it or was it i think it might have been even a year ago. yeah seems like a while it ago. may have been last year but we did a little bonus episode on different conspiracy theories and this was one of the ones that we talk about so david actually published a whole book about this theory called the biggest secret and he outlines his idea that what he considers the elite are all actually reptiles just in skin suits, and that these reptilian people have controlled the world since ancient times. Reptilians include people such as the royal families, most politicians, the Freemasons, and of course the Illuminati. Of course, the Illuminati would have to be reptile people, so the otherwise I still it still don't make even. Sense.
0: Yeah i I can't ever follow this one. Is the idea of a reptilian? <laughs> they like y- you literally suit up like there's a zipper on your head or something. Please explain I mean, that to me. I feel like
1: me. that's like a very literal like adaptation. I don't think that they were oh, actually me. <laughs> suits. I think the with the theory, like they're just like they have their DNA is not human or something. I don't really know. It's not one of the theories that I subscribe to, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> So David published more books after the success, if you can call it that, of his first book about reptilians. Diazin was really into this, and he followed David Icke and his writings, and he attended this seminar. So while he was there, he met a woman named Linda Henning, and they hit it off. Of course, he also did not mention that he was married to Gurley or that they were going through a divorce proceeding and that Gurley actually had a restraining order against him. And we have so much more to get into in this story, and we're going to get right back into it after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Remember when you were a kid and you couldn't wait to grow up, and now you're an adult and left wondering, what on earth was I thinking? The stress of life weighs on us all, whether you're just out there adulting or an elite athlete out there training. Things like muscle pain and muscle tension were not something we bargained for as kids. Yet here we are with kinks in our necks and pulled hamstrings wondering how we got here. Luckily, now there's relief, thanks to Theragun. Theragun is
0: the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension by using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's even as quiet as an electric toothbrush. Gone are the days of waiting out muscle pain or those days I simply get out of my bed the wrong way, which is something I definitely did a few weeks ago. Because with Theragun, I didn't need to wait it out or hope that somehow my husband had begun taking secret classes to become a massage therapist at night. I just quickly grabbed my Theragun, placed it on my neck, and within moments, I was feeling much better and ready to try adulting once again.
1: And the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet you'll even wonder if it's actually on. But as soon as you put it on your muscles, you'll know it is, because it easily soothes your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Try
0: Theragun for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. Starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com mm right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com mm. Theragun.com mm. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here. A brand new dermatologist approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed
1: with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great gentle clean. pull up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered too, with a training pant that's ultra soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now, back to the episode. Before the
0: break, we were talking about Diazen and Gurley Chu and their strained marriage and really the bizarre beliefs and contactics used by Diazen. At this time in the story, Gurley had filed for an annulment and a restraining order against her husband. And... All this while, he's off at conspiracy seminars and meeting a woman named Linda Henning. At the time that you met, Linda was in her mid-40s. She was originally from California, where she grew up in Los Angeles and had a really pretty normal life until her father left when she was 11 years old. This deeply affected Linda and left her with a lot of emotional trauma and later really contributed to her struggle with men and in relationships. She often became very attached to her boyfriends, and her own mother said that Linda would, quote, believe the moon was made out of cheese if a boy had said it, end quote. But looking at Linda from the outside, you'd really never know a thing about her internal struggles. She was a very caring and compassionate woman who was described as being honorable, intelligent, dynamic, and proud. Her health is something that she took very seriously, and she was really involved in living a very healthy lifestyle. She enjoyed fitness, eating organic, and taking vitamins and supplements. When Linda was younger, she worked as a model, but she later became a fashion designer and actually created her own clothing line, which became super successful in the late 80s. Linda moved to Albuquerque, and by 1999, her business was doing fantastic. She bought herself a house and she even got engaged. But while she was living in New Mexico, she got sucked into some new interests like Southwestern art and UFOs. Obviously, those two things. (laughs) You play into the art and immediately you think aliens. This rabbit hole, though, is how she eventually learned about David Icke and reptilians and found herself at the same seminar that Diazin was attending that summer.
1: So not only did Diazin not mention his wife and pending divorce, but he also didn't mention that he was already dating a different woman named Julie McGuire throughout the month of August when he first met Linda. In that same month, Diazin went behind Girlie's back and contacted an adoption agency in Albuquerque and tried to facilitate an open adoption for Dimitri. What? So he told the agency... Yes, so he told the agency that his son had leukemia... And only had four to five months to live and said that he wanted the adoption process to be as quick as possible. All of this is just so unbelievable. I mean, there's no other word for for yeah. doing this. It's just unbelievable on every level that he, would, that he would even try to do this or that he would make up this kind of a story. Yeah. And it's a like, terrible gotta, story anyway. Right. But we got to hurry
0: this up because the kid doesn't have much time. I don't want to keep him here. You got to get rid of him. But- yeah, we got the clocks running down on this. That's so terrible. That's like, I just can't even understand. I can't understand the adoption agency not blaming anything on them, but how, what are they thinking when this is happening? This is just crazy.
1: Right. So, when Gurley found out about this, she was, of course, very upset. This is her son that she's been raising. And she asked if she would be able to keep seeing her adopted son and even paid child support. But Her relationship with Diazin was so rocky and downright dangerous that she eventually gave up all rights to Dimitris just so that she could avoid having contact with Diazin. On August 26th, Diazin told the adoption agency, quote, there will be justice for Gurley giving up her rights. The next day, the adoption agency had the police go to Diazin's home to check on Dimitri because they were worried about the child's welfare. And the police came and searched around and they ended up taking two guns out of the home. The FBI was then contacted and asked to look into Diazen. But by the end of August, the little boy had already gone off to live with his adoptive family, which, oh, my gosh, that whole thing is just so terrible and sad. Yeah, I feel like it just is like a double whammy for that little boy because, you know, Diazen already took him away from his mom whenever he was a newborn and just like took off with him. And now you know he's only, he's still oh, yeah. really a young child, and his dad is like, okay, like actually, I just am gonna put you up for adoption now to some random family. It's just so senseless, all of it, and like,
0: and my gosh, he, he could have contacted the mom and been like, actually, exactly. this isn't gonna work out. Why don't you take him?
1: Just this yeah, is just terrible
0: all the way around. It's
1: awful. So during all of this, Diazin would regularly rant to, I guess you would call it his girlfriend, Julie McGuire. They had just were only in a relationship for a very short period of time at this point. But he was always saying things to her about how he was going to, quote, take Girlie out or to make her disappear as soon as she signed her rights to Dimitri over. He even claimed that he had already hired somebody to kill Girlie, and that there were multiple people involved in his plan. He alleged that he would pay everyone in diamonds, and he said that Gurley would, quote, never live to see a dime of his money because she was going to come up missing. During the first week of September, right after Dimitri was out of the picture, Diazin evidently asked Linda Henning to marry him, and she started telling people right away that they were going to be getting married the following week. This, of course, was puzzling to Linda's friends and co-workers because Linda was actually engaged at the time that she met Dyson as well. And she actually dumped her fiancé within two weeks of meeting Diazin. Linda's fiancé, Steven, was apparently really happy for her when he found out about her relationship with Dyson, which I can't even imagine... I honestly can't even imagine what was going on there, but he was just like, okay, like if you want to be with this guy, then best of luck to you in life. I mean, (laughs) it definitely seems like he didn't have too much of a problem letting her go. Yeah. So little did Steven know that Diazin was not just a typical man. He had convinced Linda that he was a 1000 year old alien who could give her powers and that he was a doctor with special powers to heal. Linda's ex-fiance, Stephen, had a lot of medical problems himself. So Linda actually asked him if he would come to New Mexico and let Diazin cure him. Stephen was interested or intrigued rather, and he wanted to see Diazin's credentials. So Linda actually showed him a resume, which was full of errors and just overall not very professional. So Stephen ended up hiring a private investigator to look into it. No surprise, the private investigator found that Diazin had no credentials. When Stephen told Linda what he found out, she just refused to believe it. And from that point on, her behavior became pretty unpredictable. She spoke quickly and used bad language. And she talked about the world ending and reptiles and government plots and many more things. And she would rant and rave about these things to her ex-fiance, Stephen, through facts and through phone calls. I love the idea of like getting faxes and it's like pizza,
0: <laughs> like pizza uh, flyers, pizza flyer, and then like reptile
1: alien people. Like yeah. I just
0: can't imagine a world where those kind of flyers are or you know faxes are coming through. That's I just love that idea.
1: Yeah, right. So Linda was completely bought in though to what Dyson was selling, and by this point, he had convinced her to start taking his anti aging serum. And a special colon cleanser. And he promised her that she would become the reptile queen. So not sure, only sure, is sure. he a 1,000-year-old alien and reptiles are, you know, reptile people are real, but now she can become the, the reptile queen. So this is what she is thinking she's going to get as long as she sticks by Diaz's inside. I have a question though.
0: I mean, I don't like when people lie about their age, and this guy's lying big time. He was 2,000 years old before, and all, all of a sudden he has this new girl, and he's like, Actually, I'm a thousand. I'm a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of age to take off there, buddy.
1: Yeah, right. So this part is kind of weird, but I feel like it's very it just kind of speaks to the relationship that Linda had with Diazin, But it is very bizarre. But Linda would actually talk to her friends and co-workers and she would describe her intimate times with Diazin to the people around her. And she told them that. When they were in the bedroom, they transformed into cat-like people with this very high energy. So at first I was like, oh, well, she was just making a metaphor. No, no, no. Then she even showed one of her friends where she had fangs that would grow out of her mouth when her and Diazin were having intimate actions together. And so (laughs) I just thought it was so... So bizarre. She's like, here, look at my, my lips where the fangs grow out whenever I'm having sex with my boyfriend. Like, this is just the strangest, um, strange just the strangest (laughs) wait have you ever heard this
0: just reminded me of this and this happened on Real Housewives of New York Luann has this thing in the roof of her mouth where it's like two extra teeth like near the front and that's all I could think of whenever I read this (laughs) What? yeah and she like had Sonia put her finger in her mouth and was like feel this and it's like two little I don't know the baby teeth something like in the roof of her mouth Mandy it I've never heard of it since then but that's all I could think was like (laughs) Maybe, maybe it was just a thing she was born with and not actual cat fangs that came out. I can't accept that answer at all. I'd rather go with the Luan tooth.
1: Right. So Linda's co-workers, they did ask her. They had a lot of questions. I'm sure they had a lot of questions. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> they were <laughs> they were also really confused about how she was planning on getting married to Diazin when he was already married to somebody else. And Linda told them that that would be taken care of in the next week. And as we know, Gurley did go
0: missing that next week. It was September 9th, 1999, when Gurley was last seen alive when she was leaving work that night. The next morning though, she didn't show up for her shift and the police were called in to investigate. As we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, Girlie's apartment showed signs of a struggle and possibly a cleanup of some kind with bleach stains on the carpet and on the couch. Police also found evidence of deer, rabbit, and cat hair and feathers in Gurley's carpet. All of these items are used for tying flies for fly fishing, which is actually an important fact that we'll come back to a little later okay do you know anything about fly fishing I know that I wouldn't want to do it and you wear cool overalls and you stand in the water
1: and I don't think you use bait that's all I got I don't know anything about it but I was so confused about using animal hair to tie f- the flies i I still I need to go google it and find out exactly how that works because I'm yeah. sure the image I have in my head is like way off of what you're actually, thinking like a hair what the ball like a cat hairball. <laughs> i'm thinking of somebody like stringing together actual strands of like rabbit hair and then like tying a fly to the end of it but like, i'm sure that oh. i not not i don't think <laughs> flies are involved though wait oh no i don't think <laughs> I flies don't are no
0: i don't think they are oh gosh, they're not like real they're not like flies i thought it was the idea I- of how you fling it back and forth i didn't think it was a fly that would be on the thing
1: No, I don't
0: know. Maybe one of us is really wrong, and the other one is probably only a little right, (laughs) right? (laughs) At most, (laughs) I'm gonna have to look that up though, because I really truly do not know. So there's also this steam cleaner that's believed to have been used to clean the carpet in Girlie's apartment that also was found to have deer hair in it. In addition, police found four small blood stains and took samples. They also collected a human hair from the carpet, as well as some cat hair and some art sand and glitter. These items were all taken into evidence for testing. Later on September 10th, a highway worker found a pair of pink and orange shorts, a green and white blouse, and green underwear along the highway of Albuquerque. The clothing items were splattered with blood and wrapped in a blood-stained gray tarp, which was wrapped in duct tape. Attached to the tape was a single human hair, which was saved for testing. The tarp also had rabbit hair, cat hair, and feathers on it. Further investigation revealed a purse that was found on a street nearby that contained Gurley's ID. The bloodstained clothing wrapped in the tarp were also confirmed to be Gurley's clothes. On September 12, 1999, police spoke with Linda Henning and asked her if she knew where Diazen was. They had already gone to his house at this point, but it was empty. Linda said that she had no idea where he was and doubted she'd ever see him again. She told police that she had never met his wife, Girlie, and two weeks later, she testified to a grand jury that she had never met Gurley and had never even been in her apartment. She also told the jury that she'd never given Diaz in a blood sample, which is actually relevant because it was later discovered that two of the four small blood stains in Girlie's apartment actually turned out to have come from Linda. It was also later confirmed that the hair from Gurley's carpet, as well as the hair on the tape wrapped around the tarp, also belonged to Linda. When police found DNA evidence linking Linda to Gurley Chu's disappearance, they issued a search warrant for her house. They found a shotgun, a 22 caliber Beretta, and a Japanese ninja sword in the ceiling of her garage with human blood on it. The blood couldn't be identified, but receipts showed that Diazen bought the sword on the same day that Gurley went missing.
1: The police continued to investigate. They found out that Linda and Gurley had met more than once. Linda actually banked at Bank of America and had been in the bank location where Gurley worked and even had her as a teller at least as many as three times. And the most recent was on September the 3rd, which was just days before Gurley was last seen. On September 21st, officers found Diazen in Charleston, South Carolina. He'd actually been shacking up with a woman named Cheryl Culp, who he met in Albuquerque on the morning of September 10th, which was the same morning that Gurley was reported missing. Apparently, Diazin and Cheryl had set off on this drive to South Carolina that same day, and by the time the police found them, Cheryl was already thinking that she was going to marry Diazin. I just don't understand how he convinces these people to marry him, or like makes them want to marry him after they've known him for like five freaking minutes. I just do not understand how every woman that he dates or gets involved with is like, we're getting married. Like, how do you do that? I don't understand that. Well,
0: have you ever, it reminds me of people like in high school. I think he would find the kind of people who maybe really wanted that. And he showed them interest and they were all about it. That guy's intense. I watched some videos of him. He is very, very intense. To me, that freaks me out. But somebody else might really, really love it. But it reminds right. me of somebody in high school that's like, we're in love, we're getting married. And you're like, mm, well, you sit behind him in, you know, study hall. I don't really get where this is going, but okay, right. I'll right. follow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So once Diazen was located, he was arrested and he was taken back to New Mexico. Early in the investigation, the police learned about a man named Bill Miller, who they believe may have been an accomplice in Gurley's disappearance. Diazen was introduced to Bill by Linda Henning in the first week of September, and allegedly the two men hit it off and they became close and trusted friends in that short period of time. Investigators learned that Diazen allegedly hired Bill to dispose of Gurley's body. Bill was an avid hunter and a fly fisher, which was important to note since the items found in Girlie's apartment and on the bloody tarp after she disappeared were consistent with items used in fly fishing, as we said before. So Bill was officially under investigation as a suspect. In late October of 1999, he told a grand jury that Dyson once said he wanted a high-powered rifle to shoot Girlie from a distance, but he also said that he wanted Linda to get rid of Girlie for him. Then he came up with a different idea. Bill claimed that Diazen told him that he wanted him and Linda to, quote, grab Girlie and bring her to me. Hmm. On October 29th, Linda was actually arrested for perjury. Her family was shocked that she had lied under oath and believed that she had been brainwashed or drugged by Diazen. But things actually only got worse for Linda. Since her hair was found at Girlie's apartment and on the tarp, police had enough evidence to charge her. On November 18th, 1999, both Linda and Diazin were indicted. They were facing charges of murder, kidnapping, conspiracy, evidence tampering, and more. A few weeks later, in December, police searched Bill Miller's home and found feathers, deer, rabbit, and cat hair. And the cat hair was actually later matched to the cat hair that was found in Girlie's apartment. And then those other items were also later found to be a match for those that were found in the apartment and on the tarp. So based on these findings, it was clear that Bill did have some level of involvement in this crime. On February 12th, he was arrested. Following his arrest, Bill disposed of a notebook and while he was in the interrogation room, he was left sitting by himself and the officers watched on camera as he destroyed some business cards. So one of them he ripped up and stuck in his shoe and then the other business card he had with him, he put in his mouth and started chewing. He was trying to eat it. So they, police of course came in. And they were like, what are you doing? Why are you chewing this paper card up? And they, of course, believed that the only reason he would do that is because there was some kind of important information on there. So they made him spit it out. No word on whether or not they were able to recover any information from the saliva-soaked spitwad ball that he had in his mouth. But uh, (laughs) they they did make him spit it out, and they obviously were very suspicious about why he would do something like that. And we are going to get right back into the rest of the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
0: Sometimes life can feel a little out of control. And when that happens, it's nice to have something out there that you feel like you can control. For me, I'm looking to control my eating habits. When I'm nervous or anxious, all I really want to do is stuff my face with cheese and lemon heads. But this year, I'm trying to make better choices, like reaching for an apple instead of a party-sized bag of Doritos, which is why I love Noom. Noom is a habit-changing solution that helps users like me learn to develop a new relationship with food through their personalized courses. For me, so much of making better decisions is actually breaking bad
1: habits and creating new and healthy ones, and Noom helps me do just that. What I love about Noom is that it doesn't tell me what to do or what not to do. Instead, it teaches me how to pull from my own knowledge I learn along the way to make better decisions for myself. And with one of the biggest and most accurate food databases out there, you can track your meal habits, visualize portion sizes, and even see calorie density at a glance. Over the
0: past few months, I've really made my health a priority. And when I'm taking better care of my body, it's amazing how much better I feel overall. For me, there's no magic number on the scale. I just really want to be the best me I can for myself and my family. And having the Noom community, as well as the Noom Personally Assigned Goal Specialist, I feel like I can take on today whatever life throws at me.
1: Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom dot com slash moms to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply.
0: And now, back to the episode. So before the break, police had arrested Diazin, Linda Henning, and their associate Bill Miller in connection with Gurley's disappearance and assumed murder. Although they didn't have a body to confirm that Gurley was dead, they continued investigating these three people and they learned a lot of incriminating information. In the days leading up to Gurley's disappearance, both Diazen and Bill Miller put their houses up for sale and Linda began preparing her home for sale as well. In Diazin's case, he even hired movers and had them come pack his house and move everything out by September 9th. They also learned that in late August, weeks before Gurley was last seen, Diaz and Linda had been to a remotely located ranch that was about 26 miles from Magdalena, New Mexico, which is where the tarp with the bloody clothes was found. On September 1st, Linda rented a set of walkie-talkies for a two-week period, and on the day of Gurley's disappearance, they were seen using the walkie-talkies in a bookstore in Albuquerque. One of Linda's friends actually ran into them there and told police that Linda was, quote, nervous and erratic. The day before Girlie's disappearance, Linda and Diazin showed up at an RV dealership wanting to buy an RV so they could travel to Mexico. And Diazin allegedly made a comment about how one of the RVs had a compartment that was quote unquote large enough to hide a body. P.S. I rented a car recently after I gotten into a wreck and the guy showed me the trunk and I said, Oh, look, there's no body in here. And he did not make any comment, did not appreciate my <laughs> show. <laughs> Whatsoever. So, yeah, maybe maybe this is why he did not appreciate my joke. Maybe that actually does happen. So they were supposed to go back and get the RV on the morning of September 10th. After they went to check out RVs, Linda went and bought a tarp from Home Depot. And further investigation showed that it was the same style and size as the tarp that was found near Magdalena. During the week of September 12th, Linda told a friend that Gurley had been kidnapped and killed, which was information that wasn't yet available to the public. Linda was also seen washing her car twice between the dates of September 11th and September 14th. Needless to say, the evidence was really stacking up against Linda and Diazin, and the state had a really strong case against them, even though they hadn't yet found Gurley.
1: To avoid the death penalty, Diazin agreed to take a plea deal. He said that he would tell the authorities where Gurley's body was in exchange for being able to serve his sentence in another state. He told them that Bill buried Gurley's body along I-40 near the Rio Puerco, but a police search turned up nothing in that area. When they tried to get more information out of Diazin, he refused to talk, and since he had fulfilled enough of his end of the plea deal, he was then transferred to a Wyoming prison, but he was later transferred back to New Mexico. He ended up being sentenced to 91 years. After his plea and sentencing, Dyazin gave statements to the police. He said that he'd been the one to orchestrate Girlie's kidnapping and murder, but he didn't know exactly how she was killed or where her body really was. He said, quote, However she was killed, it makes no difference to me. Hopefully, for my end of it, that she suffered the most excruciating pain known to mankind is what I was hoping for, end quote. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and like, for what? Like, she... She just wanted to leave. Yeah, and she never did anything to wrong him. Not, I mean, compared to the things that he had done, you know, he, like, with all of his lying and everything, Horrible. just mm-hmm. absolutely awful that he would think that she deserved that, you know, that that kind of a fate. Right. Dyson told the police that Bill Miller was the one who actually killed Girlie, and that it was his own idea to do so. He says that he never actually asked Bill to do it. But Bill wanted to, quote, hunt a human being, and Diazin says that he merely gave him the opportunity to do that. Late in February of 2001, Bill was indicted for conspiracy to commit murder, kidnapping, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and tampering with evidence. He hired an attorney who tried to claim that multiple people involved had actually fabricated the evidence and then presented it to a grand jury. One example of this was that Bill's attorney alleged that the forensic scientist who testified didn't explain to the grand jury that the human hair on the tarp couldn't have been Bill's, but it could have been Linda's. And this is something because, OK, so that doesn't sound like such a big miss misstep, you know, to say like, oh, that, well, they just didn't clarify right. like that it couldn't have been bills. But it, you see this a lot in legal cases where those little kind of details do come back and cause a problem later and they can end up either somebody will use something as a loophole to get out of, you know, something. Right. But I feel like you hear about that a lot where it's like just the slightest mix up of words or, you know, just not getting every little detail just right. It can put your case in jeopardy. Another hearing was actually held in May of 2002, but with a new grand jury. They indicted Bill for tampering with evidence, but not for kidnapping, conspiracy, or murder, which led to the prosecution dropping those charges. In 2003, Bill pleaded no contest to three counts of attempted evidence tampering, and this was from destroying those business cards during his questioning earlier in the investigation. And he was sentenced to just 10 months of probation. Wow. The prosecution dropped the other tampering charges because Bill had pleaded no contest.
0: In October of 2002, it was time for Linda's trial. During her time in prison while she was awaiting trial, Linda said several things about Gurley's murder. The most disturbing thing was that she told four people that she had, quote unquote, consumed the flesh of Gurley and that her body would never be found. Prosecutors in the case believed that Linda and Diazan may have consumed some of Gurley's blood during a ritual, but he didn't believe that they consumed her entire body. Linda was facing the death penalty if she was found guilty. She was actually the first woman in New Mexico to face the death penalty. Her trial began on October 1st, 2002. The prosecution's case was purely based on the forensic evidence that showed that Linda was connected to the crime. For her defense, they relied heavily on testimony from Diazin. And boy, oh boy, did Diazin have a lot to say in court. He asserted that he was a reptilian shapeshifter, of course, who could be in two places at once. That's something that I didn't know they could do. That's, that's right. a part of being a reptile reptilian, I guess. So he claimed that Linda wasn't involved in the murder and that he had done it all himself. He said that Gurley made a conscious decision to begin divorce proceedings and to take his son from him, and so he made the choice to take her life. He said, quote, it is as quick and simple as that, end quote. According to Diazin, he and Bill were preparing for a battle with the aliens that would soon usher in the New World Order, and he said that he let Bill murder Gurley for practice. Oh my gosh. So Diazin went to Gurley's apartment on September 9th after the killing and tried to start cleaning up the scene. He claimed that he had vials of people's blood that he had taken for scientific research and that he was originally going to scatter the blood all around to confuse the investigators. But then the vial broke in his pocket, so he decided to use Linda's blood. And this was really just an attempt to explain away how Linda's blood got in Gurley's apartment if she wasn't actually involved. Diazin claimed to have not been present when Gurley was killed. He said that he told Bill that he didn't want to know how or where it happened, which makes no sense because you've already said you want this lady dead. You can't wait for her to be dead. She deserves to die and you don't want to know what happened. But I don't believe that for one second. Right. So his role in the crime, according to himself, was that he organized the kidnapping and agreed to clean up evidence. Both Linda and the other woman that and met and went to North Carolina with told police they had no idea about the kidnapping or the murder.
1: Finally, on October 18th, the jury went out for deliberation and they took their time. It wasn't until October 25th that they finally reached a verdict. Linda was found guilty on first-degree murder, kidnapping, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, criminal solicitation, three counts of perjury, two counts of tampering with evidence, and conspiracy to commit tampering. Prior to this, Linda had never been in trouble with authorities. A few days later, after the verdict was read, the death penalty phase began. It took 25 minutes for the jury to decide not to give Linda the death penalty. So instead of issuing a sentence, the judge sent Linda for a psychological evaluation. He believed that she was involved in the murder, but he also felt like she was a victim of Diaz and Hassenkopf, too. And he wanted her, of course, to have this evaluation before he, you know, handed down whatever sentence he was going to hand down. So over the next 60 days, Linda was evaluated. She was also given the opportunity to help the state in hopes that she could get the minimum sentence possible. Unfortunately, she did not agree to the terms, and she refused to help the state in any way, and her psych evaluation showed that she was totally competent. Finally, on April 18, 2003, Linda was sentenced. In court, she said that she never asked for her defense to have in testify, and that even she thought she was lying. She felt that having him testify in her trial turned out to be a detriment to her, really, because the jury didn't believe anything that Diazin said. She said the investigation was sloppy and that fraudulent evidence had been gathered. She ended up being sentenced to life plus 43 years, which in New Mexico calculates out to be 73 and a half years. And all of her appeals that she's tried have been denied so far.
0: As for where they are now... Diazin was transferred back to New Mexico, as we said earlier, and he's still currently there serving his sentence. In January of 2020, over 20 years after the murder, he asked for his sentence to be overturned. Apparently, he has written over 400 pages with interviews, evidence, and more, and he is going to bring it before the judge. Linda is also incarcerated in a New Mexico prison. Gurley body has still yet to be found, and not for lack of trying. Officers have searched 100 miles southwest of Albuquerque, the foothills of the Sandia Mountains, and both north and south US 60, where there are a lot of deep mine shafts from the 50s and 60s. Police believe that her remains are somewhere within the county, along US 60. She is presumed to be dead. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. This is one of those stories we've talked about for a while. You and I have um, doing this story. And it's been like one we've kind of had on the back burner. It's just, there's just so many things going on with this story. Just the characters in it, not characters, they're people. But Diazin is really a character of a person. Well, he's a reptile. Oh, he is. So yeah, but he is, that's one of those people I... Yeah, he's just one of those people that it's like, wow, you exist. You are out there in the world. I'm I'm not that sad that he is where he is because he he's a dangerous guy.
1: He sure is. Yeah, he's a terrible person. This story is really crazy though. And just I think there is like a lot of elements to it where you're just like, what on earth? Like how, how? did he get away with this? Like, yeah, and You know, we just briefly touched on his, you know, his con or his scam where he was getting money out of people because they believed that he had the cure for cancer and all that. And he really did scam a lot of people. They believed that he was a doctor and that he knew what he was talking about and that he actually had a cure for cancer. And I think that's what made me so like salty about this story and about him doing that kind of thing to people because- I just can't think of much worse, like much more messed up than that, than like taking somebody who's like sick and and dying even, you know, who has cancer and saying, oh, I have this cure. Give me your money. And, you know, when you don't have anything that can help them and it's just like you, it just takes just a special kind of like awful human being to be able to do something like that. But that's really what the name of his game was. I mean, he just lived his life like making up stories and lies and All for his own selfish gain and just absolutely no regard to anybody else or, you know, or their feelings or what, you know, what's right or wrong. And just, he was just truly a terrible, terrible, terrible person. He is a terrible person.
0: Obviously, Gurley was his, you know, the victim in this murder, but there were a ton of victims in here. Basically, anyone that got in his crosshairs, became friends with him, was close to him, knew him, had heard of him, just all their lives were totally, you know, whether they were conned by him or, you know, became an accomplice for him,
1: they were all ruined. Yeah, definitely. All right, Melissa. So we are going to um, turn the page and move on to our last thing before we go. Oh, and I'm so excited about this one because I love a good holiday. And we have been talking about holidays lately. But as it turns out, there are national holidays that occur Every day, it seems like, Melissa, you found a wonderful website that had all the different national holidays listed for every single month, and there are some really good ones. So what we have done here is we've each picked our favorite. We're going to go through all the months, and so Melissa's going to start with January and tell me her favorite national holiday that happens in January, and then I'm going to do February, and we're going to go so on and so forth until we get to December, and we're going to find out along the way... About some holidays that um, are a real thing that you may not yeah. have even known about, and now we're going to give you a new reason to celebrate,
0: yeah, or an well, old reason
1: to celebrate on the correct day.
0: Possibly. Well, some you might not actually <laughs> want to celebrate. Some are some you do. Some some you might not want to. So the one I found that I loved and I'm super pumped about is January twentieth, which is National Cheese Lovers Day, Mandy.
1: Such yes. a great day. Why aren't we
0: always celebrating? It's followed by January 21st, which is National Hug Day, which I think is a real choice to put right after National Cheese Day, but right. it is what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I can totally get behind National Cheese Day. Oh, gosh. Um, I feel like there's days probably that are like even more specific than that. After reading through some of the holidays, like they probably have National Cheddar Cheese Day. Oh, I'm also. sure. I uh, want it all. Though. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so keeping in line with food, we must both be hungry, starving to death. This one is funny and also sounds delicious, but February 18th is National Crab Stuffed Flounder Day. Oh, I don't know how I <laughs> feel about that. Why does that feel it's like a whole day. cannibalism of a whole day. animals
0: or like they're cannibalizing, what? cannibalizing themselves? Oh, no
1: what am I confusing? What am I doing? Oh my gosh. I love crab stuffing on fish or in fish or anything. So I don't think I've ever had it
0: stuffed in something. I think I, you know what the most crab I've had is either like crab and you just put it in butter or like crab dip. You know, I love my imitation crab dip,
1: but Mm. I don't think
0: I've had crab stuffed anything. So that really just threw me
1: for a loop, but I love it. Yes, I know. I'm very excited about that. I'm going to Definitely, and I love crab, so I'm definitely gonna have to check that one out.
0: Definitely celebrate that one. So, mine, my, uh, my next one is March 15th, which is National Everything You Think Is Wrong Day, but don't worry because the following day, March 16th, is National Everything You Do Is Right Right Day. So, you <laughs> start off bad oh. and it gets a little bit better. Yeah. So, I don't. Know. Those are yeah. I love I love the idea of some of these. Like how how did this happen? How exactly did this? But happen? I love
1: everything you think is wrong day because that's like every single day of my life. I'm so happy that they have a day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So if you're the kind of person who's looking always for an excuse to get out of doing chores around the house, now you don't have to look for an excuse. You just have to wait for April 7th to roll around because that is National No Housework Day. Oh, I like it. In case you need a special day. Yeah, Yeah. I mean... I mean, I I celebrate that every day is April 7th.
0: I know I I could throw that in a few days a week. I'd be fine with that. How about days that end and why can we just make that the national? Right. right, right. (laughs) Okay, so May 20th is National Be a Millionaire Day. And I just love that this isn't like (laughs) National Millionaires Day. It's like National Be a Millionaire Day. Like just today, I'm just going to be like I'm either living like a millionaire or like play the lotto that day. I can't quite figure it out, but I love it.
1: Oh, I love that too. Okay, so I – oh, oh yeah, this one's great. So June is the next one up, and I chose this one because we are from Florida, and I just thought it was very sweet, and I did not know that it existed. June 27th is actually National Orange Blossom Day. And I don't know what that means exactly, but (laughs) I am a big fan of the orange blossom. And I love orange blossom honey and other things that are made of the orange blossom. It's a big thing here because we have orange groves and orange trees, so – orange blossom there's a whole day yes and it's in june orange blossom day june 27th nice so
0: my next one is july 23rd and this is gorgeous grandma day so imagine being a grandma and not getting a card on that day that's gonna hurt that's gonna hurt right right
1: (laughs) right All right, so my best and favorite selection from the month of August should not be a surprise to anyone. Um, I chose National Dog Day is in August. It's on August 26th, and there was a lot of good ones in August. I didn't write them all down or even make a note of them, but I remember there being multiple ones in August that I had a hard time picking. And then I saw National Dog Day, and I was like, oh, that's obviously my favorite. We all know that. That jumped out for you, right?
0: Okay, my next one is September 12th, and that one is National Report Medicare Fraud Day, which I just love the idea of somebody <laughs> being like, I need to I need to report a fraud, and they're like, well, what day is it? September 1st. Well, you, you're going to need to wait. You're going to need to wait every day. Right. Like, September 4th, September 4th. <laughs> so it's September 12th, somebody just like busting out, like, I have so much fraud to report. Just such an exciting day for them. So I don't get it, but I love it.
1: Or just maybe you like would you would you would ordinarily just let it slide under the rug. But yeah. then on, on that day, they're bringing awareness to the fact that you you should report these things.
0: Yeah. Or what if like you <laughs> had a maybe that makes more sense, because I'm like, what if you scheduled a colonoscopy that day? Now you have to wait till next year to report fraud. That seems really risky. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. All right. So next month up is October. Of course, we just passed October and I did not choose Halloween because that would be very, very boring. October's got a lot of great ones. And a lot of them I feel like are very um, spooky season related. Like there's National Apple Day. There's Candy Apple Day. There's Mm. Candy Corn Day. All those are in October. And of course we have Halloween. However, the most I feel like this is very offensive that this is even a thing. The most offensive one happens on October 19th. And it is National Clean Your Virtual Desktop Day, which I just find very funny because I don't even clean my real desktop, let alone Uh. my virtual desktop. So they have a whole day dedicated, though, to remind you to clean your virtual desktop. Melissa, do you do that? Is that something you do? Do you go in your computer and just, like, clean up your... Oh, my husband makes stuff, me do it all your, the time. Your virtual desktop.
0: Yes, because he's always like, your computer's running. I'll be like, oh, I feel like my computer's running slow. He's like, let me see your desktop. Like the um, what Nick Burns, your company computer guy from SNL. He's always like, let me see your oh, desktop. Yeah. And I just have like screenshots I've taken of memes and stuff. He's like, you have to take this stuff off your desktop. So it's like every Friday is national or in my house. Oh. Clean your desktop day. I do it a lot because... For that very reason. But I keep like our episodes on here and then post them. So I I have to keep it somewhat organized. But the rest of my life is a a shame. And I don't know what's going on in my other folders. My desktop, it's pretty clean. It's pretty clean. Yeah, There you go. Yeah. So now we're in November. And I'm going to start with a negative one, but I'm going to turn it into a positive. So November 21st, and this is a real holiday. And you know it pisses me off. This is uh, National Kick-A-Ginger Day. Like kick a redhead day? No, yes. what? I know it's a real thing, and I mean I don't think like people literally celebrate it, but I, my husband participate. always participate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I participate. I kick two of the members of my family constantly. <laughs> but then today, November fifth is National Redhead Appreciation Day. So that Aww. forget about November twenty first, but November fifth, hug a redhead
1: or you know tolerate them. How, how to nice of them to like put those in the same month.
0: I know. I feel like you should kick them first and then appreciate them because I feel like if you right. say you appreciate them, nobody's going to believe you if you now you're kicking them. So
1: yeah, love right. a redhead.
0: Hug a redhead something. Right. I don't know. Go ahead.
1: All right. So the last month of the year, December, there is so much to love about December. And of course, a lot of holidays that would be too easy. However, I found out that one of the greatest days of the year is also in December, and it is not Christmas, it is not New Year's, and it is not even my birthday. It is December 30th, which is National Bacon Day. Yay! That's a good yeah, day. Yeah, December 30th. I can get down with eating bacon literally all day on December 30th. That sounds wonderful.
0: <laughs> I feel like it should be January 1st, like just to set your priorities for the year.
1: You're <laughs> like, this right, is what I'm right. doing.
0: This is what I'm doing.
1: I love that though. That was fun. Yeah. So, those are some fun little holidays. As I said, there are like multiple national holidays, like every single day of the year. So, it's very hard to pick your favorites because honestly, I didn't realize, but there's something to celebrate every single day. Apparently, whether it's cheddar cheese or whether it's stuffed flounder, I mean, there's literally a day for everything. So, Don't give up hope if we didn't say your favorite holiday. There's just a lot to choose from. (laughs) There is. There
0: is. Um, So before we go, well, two things. I decided to Google the fly fishing thing, and you were right, and it is. They do put a fly on it. You have to figure out what the trout like and stuff, but it's a real fly. Didn't know that. So wanted to make sure. Yeah. So good job on that. I thought it was the flicking of the wrist, but... So points for you, zero points for me. I I have been negative points at this point, but anyway, so before you write us, we've cleared it up. And lastly, uh, we're going to be playing the promo for Morbidology and it's hosted by Emily and she's so smart and has such a great show and she's a writer and like has published books. She's just really, really good at all things podcasting and writing. And she also has another show called The Shattered Window that's coming out. We're not playing that promo, but check out the promo for Morbidology and find her on social media. She's really great. You guys will love her. And uh, we'll be back next week, Mandy. Oh, I'm I'm not trying
1: to take your spot. Go ahead. You do your thing. No, yeah. We will see you guys back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Morbidology is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by me, Emily G.
0: Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Cults Uncovered, and co-author of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Cases Uncovered. 911 emergency. My son shot my husband, I need an ambulance, he's bleeding. Using investigative research combined with primary audio including 911 calls, interviews, and trial testimony. Morbidology takes a look at some of the world's most heinous murders.
1: you know why you're here? For a uh, home in Beijing gone terribly wrong.
0: Listen to Morbidology today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you're listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast.